What is your opinion on why we have inflation right now? Because you were the free cash guy, and one of the biggest questions we got all the time was, won't this cause massive inflation? The main reason we have an inflation is uh, that you have more demand than supply. Uh, just like people want stuff, there's not enough stuff. <laughs> and so the, the prices are going up. I'll give you an example. I went to buy a bike for um, my older son, and they were like, hey, we, get, we have no new bikes. And I was like, interesting. And then to the extent they had any bikes, the bikes were expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then, um, so you play that out across different categories. And so you have high inflation. Now, the the simple relationship people are putting out there is like, oh, you've like put more money in the system. So prices went up. It's like, let's imagine that we had not put more money in the system. Is there a bike in that bike shop waiting for me? No. No. <laughs> you know, like it, it didn't solve that problem. <laughs> you know, so so that so that's what's going on in different areas of the economy. Uh and blaming it on quote unquote, you know, printing more money um is an oversimplification. Um the argument I make is look, we we printed two point two trillion dollars with the CARES Act, but it didn't go to people or families. It went to banks and airlines and no. um and, and the pipes. Uh, and so you can say it's like, oh, stop printing money. It's causing inflation. It's like, eh, like it, it's a little bit more complicated than all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I will say that if you wanted to alleviate the misery caused by inflation, putting money into people's hands would be the way to go. And they're making that argument a little bit with Build Back Better. They're like, oh, it's going to help you with child care. It's going to help you with this, going to help you with that. So it, it, it's a tough spot. But uh, you can see the partisan communication around inflation, which, by the way, now, my sense is that uh, it is serious, it's painful, it's at a level now where it, it's hurting people who have the least the most. This week on the podcast, first, happy Thanksgiving. Zach and I are going to talk about what we've been enjoying in terms of the streaming content universe. We are also going to talk about some uh, tough stuff in the Rittenhouse verdict, what's going on with the Biden administration, and more. Happy Thanksgiving, Zach. So much to be grateful for. Happy Turkey Day, man. Yes. What uh? What are your plans? You're in New Paltz? Okay. Well, well, my my famous, <laughs> the infamous house, New Paltz. New Paltz. But yes, I will be there. <laughs> and and so, and so I thought we'd open with something really really practical. And so I call my brother-in-law the content truffle pig, which is that he always he finds like yeah like interesting things to watch in the streaming universe. Okay. So we're going to open up with some content recommendations for the people at home when what's going to happen is they're going to eat their Thanksgiving meal. They're going to watch the Bills win, hopefully. Yep. They're going to wake up or maybe they'll stay up that night. They'll wake up the next day. They'll have a bit of time and then they'll be looking for something to watch. Mm-hmm. So what do we have to recommend to the people as to Ooh. what they can see that will make them happy. Okay, let's open up with that Netflix movie they probably already have watched, Red Notice Ooh. with The Rock, Gal Gadot, and I liked Ryan it. Reynolds. It's like lame, but it's good. You know what I'm saying? It's like an action movie. 
Have you seen it? I, I, I did see yeah. it. So we can compare notes on this. All right. So this will be good because then everyone can judge whether they agree more with me or Zach. Like uh, it was a confection is the word I'd give. It was very pretty. Um, there wasn't much suspense to it. It was mildly enjoyable. You know, it was vastly superior to Red Notice in my opinion. It was... Uh, if you haven't seen it on Amazon, and these two movies remind me of each other because they each cost $200 million and were on streamers for essentially for free. Mm-hmm. The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. Good movie. Did you see that? I did see that. I okay, that it's months old now, um, but if you did not see it, because a lot of people didn't see it, I, I think like you pick that one up. Uh, Red Notice is is fine. It's like worth having on and like, uh, you know, like, frankly, you're going to take your phone out at some point. Is that is that fair? I don't, I mean, yeah, it's not like riveting, um, but it's, like I love The Rock, I love Ryan Reynolds, I love Gal Gadot. I thought it was, you know, so like in that sense, pretty good movie. It's relatively funny. It's entertaining. I, I do like those stars. Like a good entertaining family flick, generally speaking. I think it's probably rated R, but it's still good. I don't think it's rated R. I don't know, I don't know what ratings work anymore. I think they swear and there's some violence. Um, whatever that means nowadays. <laughs> it looks like Zach saw the special rated, rated R version. I saw the explicit Notice. version of Red Notice. <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> I must say, anytime I watched it with Evelyn, and anytime Gal Gadot was on screen. One of us would say, God, she's so pretty. Yes, <laughs> I, you know, that, that was implying. That which, was which is great that your wife could just bust that out too. Like you, you don't have to be self-conscious about <laughs> being like, oh, like I'm going to pretend I don't notice that she's, uh, I, I think I quote Evelyn, like the prettiest woman alive. She's a, yeah. I'm, uh, so I have a good relationship, you know, very secure. You know, we met a lot of celebrities in our adventures, Zach, but Gal Gadot has not, has eluded us thus We've far. We've not met Gal. <laughs> I mean, get, get met uh, Sophia Bush. Is it Sophie Bush or Sophia Bush? Sophia, right? Yes. I had a crush on her when I was in middle school, and we met her in real life, and I kind of froze, man. I always thought I'd play that cool. <laughs> kind of so froze. Funny. I remember that day. Kind of froze. So Zach is a very cool guy. I think people can sense that. So cool. Um, so uh, I, you know, I I don't remember him freezing. I do remember him after the fact saying he had a childhood crush on Sophia Bush. And the same day we met my rock god idol, Eddie Vedder. Oh, yeah. And I did not freeze. You did not freeze. You were all about it. <laughs> I was I was so cool. I was just like, I was like, sup, Eddie. No, I wasn't like that. But I was. I did say to him, I was like, hey, huge fan and admire. And That's then he awesome. said something nice to me. Yeah, that was and, cool. And it did, it did make my heart sing. Imagine a person you rocked out to in your... Uh, 88 Honda Accord, uh, you know, as a teenager, then saying, what What did he say to me? He said, so he was leaving when I was coming in. He said, oh, man, I'm missing the main event. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was cool. It's like when you see, because we did get to meet some some cool people on the trail, and and if they say something to you that um, is, like, remotely positive, it stick with you. So, like, uh, my example is when we met Dave Chappelle the first time, and you were like, hey, this is my campaign manager. And I was like, hey, Dave, great to meet you. He was like, oh, you're the campaign manager. You're doing a great job. And then pretty much just you know started talking about something else. But I was like, I always felt like I might put this on. I want to um, see if I'm uh, if I'll put it on the cover of my book. Like you did a great job or something of that sort. I just thought it was very Chappelle way of. Uh, he does just cut to <laughs> the heart of things, doesn't he? <laughs> it was funny. Uh, but yeah, man, we, we should ask him. Um, um, and also reminder, Zach Grauman has a book coming out. In oh, yeah. May, <laughs> May 24th. We're going to hype this up. Oh, we, shit, you man. guys didn't it's, like it's it. It's not until May. <laughs> no, it's not until May, man. They keep, I think they wanted a breathing from breather from uh, from Ford's book. I don't know. Or or there's actually also there's supply chain stuff in the books too. It's actually there is serious. a supply chain thing in books. That's true. That my publisher told me that stuff. And um, so we, we had to talk about 
making a warehouse full of forward books. It's like it's in Connecticut. It's like out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It houses 50,000. I'm kidding. That None of that. We're going to crush audiobooks <laughs> is what's going to happen. Um, all right. Show rec. And then we'll talk about more depressing stuff. Um, can't wait to talk about more depressing stuff. Um, show so, recs. I have three. Uh, two I've seen. One I haven't, but I'm pretty pumped about. For, continue. Okay. One, have you seen Midnight Mass on Netflix? It looks tremendous, but I have not it's seen it. It's freaky. Um, and if anyone's grown up religious, like grew up, it, my mom was Catholic. I didn't grow I grew up Protestant, but it like... The way it's done is um, pretty wild. It's kind of scary. Like it does, like kind of it's a little jumpy, you know. So if you don't like that, um, that lo- it, you that may looks not awesome. love that. Very, but it's, it got well pretty done. good. It got it was. I was like, I randomly found it. Like it showed up on Netflix, and then I looked up. It wasn't just me thinking it was good. Like it had like they got an eighty or something, eighty plus percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The other one that this is older, but uh, no one ever talks about it enough. There's a show called Shadow and Bone on Netflix that is like a fantasy situation and. Is it good? I loved I've not it. Seen it. I loved it. Um, it's one of the guys from Westworld is one of the main characters. Um, I'm going to look up. It, they renewed it for season two. Really? And season one got on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. I'm not that. 89% audience score. So I'm not uh, losing my mind. Shadow and Bone on Netflix. Very good. But the one I'm super excited about is, is the new Beatles documentary coming out. Did you hear about this? No. It's called Get Back. So it's Peter Jackson, the director of Lord of the Rings. No way. Lord of the Rings director Peter Jackson has like all this unwatched footage of, from the Beatles, apparently. It's seven hours. It's on Disney Plus, I believe. Um, don't hold me. Oh, it's Disney Plus. Cool. I was like, don't hold me that. No, you can hold me that now. Um, it airs, I think, Thanksgiving night. It airs, um, let's see when this comes out. Yeah, it's up on th- November 25th. Yeah, Thanksgiving night. So tonight it airs and it could suck. You know, I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty optimistic. So the series that we are presently addicted to is Succession. Ooh, I haven't watched any of the new season. I heard it's pretty good. I've watched the first three, though. So did you like the the early seasons? So Succession is both funny and dark at the same time. (laughs) I I will say I walked into one of the Manhattan buildings that they use as a setting for Succession uh, in Hudson Yards. Yeah. And then I literally just started humming the Succession themes. Like, plink, 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 plink. Blink, 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 blink. <laughs> uh, and I, I went home and told Evelyn about the story. But Succession is excellent. And I'm going to do a random deep cut of movie that w- I watched on Netflix. And it stars Jamie Lannister. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is gritty. Uh, so you have to be in that frame of mind. It's called Shot Caller. And it's about a guy who winds up in jail, Jamie Lannister. I can't say his real name. It's like Nicolaj Costa or Waldau or something. But uh, <laughs> Jamie Lannister, and he, he goes to jail, and then he becomes a badass and then he comes out and it's it's well done it's gritty it was made by one of those pro-social movie studios so it's like a message film but it was and and you think to yourself (laughs) there's no way that you can convince me that jamie lannister went to jail as like a normal dude and and comes out like a hardened uh criminal but the the movie does a good job with it so shot caller deep cut on netflix right movie i saw it on netflix yes it's probably still there and uh Jamie Lannister's actual name is Nikolaj Koster Waldau. He's Danish. I'm told he's very handsome in real life. Another person we never met. That's not surprising. Also, we just saw King Richard, the Will Smith movie about Venus and Serena Williams coming up as kids. And wow, was that movie 
really like it, it was a great watch you were watching it being like wow this really happened and then you realize it did really happen it was one of these yeah. kind of truth stranger than fiction so inspirational uh i you know evelyn and i immediately joked it's like why aren't we trying to turn our kids into tennis prodigies even though that would be a total bust <laughs> <laughs> but king richard is a great watch it's um we saw it on streaming one of my favorite actors will smith for sure i think he's i think his range of like the a-listers that are out there his range is I don't know. I can't really say second to none. I don't think he's ever won an Academy Award. I was looking this up. They're, um, they're saying this is going to be Oscar bait, but he does a very strong job inhabiting this character because you kind of forget he's Will Smith sometimes. And then he, he, and this the character is three-dimensional. Like he's presented as a highly imperfect human being, shall we say, even though his visions for his daughters came true in the most spectacular fashion imaginable. Yeah. Uh, and it, it made me try and remember when Venus... And Serena Williams made their professional debuts because I do remember, you know, and, and right. I remember Venus Williams being good. And they say, "Hey, FYI, her little sister is better." And we were like, "Can that be real?" And then, <laughs> then Serena comes and dominates. Um, I, I then told, um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, to Evelyn that friend of the podcast, Alexis Ohanian, is married to Serena Williams, so we know Mister Serena Williams, That's even true. though we we I'd like I I'm friendly with Alexis, but I have not met Serena. No. Um. I loved Men in Black 1 and 2, and I was obsessed with that soundtrack for the second one, which wasn't good, for the record. Um, do you remember the soundtrack of Men in Black 2? Dun, dun, okay. dun, 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 no, it goes, uh, the first one was more iconic, but the second one was, nod your head, the black suits come in, nod your head. The black, we'll, yeah, anyway. That was, yeah, Will Smith used to make a song for every movie. Remember that? Oh yeah, he was. He, I mean, made, he has four Grammys. This is the thing. I want. He needs. He's been nominated for two Academy Awards and five Golden Globes. We should Globes. do Doesn't a conversation like on the most singable Will Smith anthem. Oh, it has to be Miami. Miami, right? Bienvenido but, a Miami. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> too. Here we go. We're going straight to the wild. wild wow, that that that, that song and movie just. Kind he's of got some hits, man. Got some bangers. So those are our content recommendations. Please feel free to send us yours <laughs> because clearly Zach and I watch we're stuff. We're limited. <laughs> clearly, we, no, we're not that bad. But yeah, clearly we watch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do, do watch stuff, it. man. Um, that's how we get through, frankly, some of the, the annoying or um, depressing or sad or dark news of the day. But we do need to talk about it because we haven't talked about it at all. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. 
Go to helixsleep.com slash yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. All right, so now that we have done the happy Thanksgiving content stuff, we're going to talk about what's been dominating the news over the last number of days, mm-hmm. and that is the Carl Rittenhouse verdict. And it's a tough subject. Uh, anytime I think about it, it just makes me sad and disheartened for where we are as a country. Uh, I, th- I thought that the verdict was uh, – legally appropriate but a very very tough and uh negative message i feel like we need a trigger warning if we're going to talk about kyle rittenhouse because we've been silent avoiding twitter on this well twitter is the wrong medium correct in my mind you know what i mean it's like you put something out and then it, you have to go uh deeper into it so first let me say that the entire thing just makes me very very sad i think that is the appropriate emotion mm-hmm. where uh this young man kid i mean he was technically a kid at the time 17, uh, goes to the site of a protest with an automatic weapon, uh, ends up killing two people and wounding another, and then is acquitted. And I have a tough set of emotions on it because I think that what we see here is someone who did something that, in my mind, was uh, the opposite of praiseworthy, was Mm -hmm. immoral, was dangerous. It ended up taking people's lives. But I understand the verdict because according to the letter of the law, you can see why they can argue that he was acting in self-defense and that the state did not meet its burden of proof. Uh, And for the folks around the country who are saying, look, this verdict doesn't send a positive message, I would happen to agree with that. Like I think that uh, somehow stamping that this kind of dangerous, uh, careless, reckless kind of behavior uh, that did result in people's deaths is legal, I think is a very, very uh, difficult negative message uh, to be sent out there. But I understand why he was acquitted because I think that the self-defense rationale uh, was borne out uh, by various pieces of evidence. People on both sides are very, 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 have been very, very angry about this. Um, they're very, very emotional about this. Do you think... To me, my, my opinion is that this is like a poster child for media inflammation of certain stories. Do you think the media has a lot to blame with how it, how we're literally so polarized on, on this trial? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the media, unfortunately, is now trying to pit everything in terms of uh, this civil war, which, in my opinion, is more and more likely mm-hmm. in part because of the media. There's a bit of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. going on. And certainly the lionization of Kyle Rittenhouse uh, in certain quarters of the right le- right leaning or um, you know Fox News universe, I completely disagree with. I mean, like presenting mm-hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse as uh, a hero strikes me as very very irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on the other side, I-, I think that they're presenting Kyle Rittenhouse as uh, also some kind of racially motivated white supremacist type, which uh, you know, I I don't think is necessarily borne out also by the fact uh, or should be the focus. I mean, the focus should be that these two people lost their lives. A person was wounded. Uh, and for Kyle Rittenhouse, especially because in this case, you know, when, when you look at it and say, 
well, it shows that, you know, a white man can do no wrong mm. um, in the United States of America. I mean, his victims were white. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily fit the prevailing type of, of narrative. Though what it says to me really is that our gun laws are messed up, which yeah. I, I think a lot of people would agree with. But according to the laws as they're currently written, I understand the verdict. These four things can all be true at the same time. And if you live on Twitter, none of them, only one can be true or so. Um, these are the four. One, national media did not cover this case accurately, particularly in the year or so leading up to the trial. That's number one. Number two, that this is objectively a tragedy, that a 17-year-old with an automatic rifle feeling that he not only needs to defend his city or be be in that um, that environment, but that maybe that he's entitled to do that, that he should be, right? Um, I think that's a tragedy. Um, the third one is that the evidence of self-defense was pretty to, I would say, very strong, actually, when you look at the facts of the case. Um, and then uh, uh, Julian Castro tweeted this, and I thought was interesting, is that if Kyle Rittenhouse was black, we're probably having a different conversation, and there's, a, there's a, probably a significantly higher chance he's in jail. Um, well, or, there's or, a, or, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a higher chance that he would have been shot on the scene if he'd been yeah. black. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there, like there is an issue where he was walking past law enforcement with his hands up. And they were and, supporting him. Yeah, they were yeah, so, encouraging him. So, so the, those things are real. Um, but no, I don't think that it's appropriate to want a verdict uh, to, to be in keeping with like a particular um, message. I mean, it, it is a person, it's a court of law. If the person's uh, to be acquitted on the basis of the law, I mean, you have to accept that in my view. Um, so it, it's a very tough situation. It makes me sad. It makes me sad for the families the, mm -hmm. of the people who lost their lives. Uh, it makes me sad that our country um, is trying to make a cause out of what, in my view, is something that a very, very you know, irresponsible, immature 17 year old did like lionizing that, that, that kid's a hero strikes me as irresponsible in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, no, one of the, the struggles that I have very often is that you see something happen, particularly in this age of social media, and then you magnify it and you can look at this incident and say, oh, there's like a race war or civil war. And, and that's a narrative that the media does love and love to fuel. And I, I try and remove myself uh, at least a couple steps and say, wait, like, is this like an army of people all organized or is this just one, in this case, you know, 17-year-old with terrible ideas? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and then the, the reverse happens in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And you can say, look, is this all people of color or black people? Like, of, of course not. Like, we, we can't be seeing things through these collectivized racialized lenses or else anytime someone does something it's like oh all people of that background will think a certain way will act a certain mm -hmm. way as soon as you start to generalize to that degree then we're lost in my opinion like i try and look at something and say okay this human being made these terrible decisions uh and our systems do have issues for sure um and i think there's a way that we can make progress on them without succumbing to some of like the baser narratives uh, but th this thing just has made me very sad and i do very very much dislike the message that somehow it's appropriate to take the law into your own hands leave the house with a weapon right. like the, the right, like, like th those things are very negative in my view i was talking to carly about this and she said there's like the macro argument and the micro argument so on this macro like macro on a justice level and the macro justice level 
there's a lot of people on the left that's like, well, white people have been in power for a long time and they deserve this. And on a macro, maybe that is, if you're trying to balance a scale, maybe that's a true statement. But on the micro level, if you look at Kyle as a human in the actual cases in that, um, you know, if I was watching from the outside, I was looking like, I was, I felt, I thought we all were under the impression that he was from outside of Wisconsin, brought his AK-47 that he got illegally and was shooting down, mowing down Black Lives Matter protesters and that he's a white supremacist. And that was like the recurring narrative, even on the right. And they were saying, you know, the, the right's early narrative was this is the fault of bad government and not the fault of the kid. And they were even defending him. And like, they weren't even, you know, they're kind of giving that side of the argument to the Democrats. But when you look at the facts is that he was actually from Kenosha. Like he lived there. His dad lived there. He had a job there. Uh, the gun was legal in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and the people he shot were not Black Lives Matter protesters. They were actually convicted um, criminals who are who were white and not that that matters when you're talking about a human life, but it's just a different narrative that's been framed. So there's macro and, uh, and micro, and I think Twitter does no. There's no nuance for that. A lot of people don't want that nuance. They picked a team, and they're they're either happy or upset of this, and it's it's a shame. I think it's a tragic. tragic. Yeah, if you're on team humanity or, or team USA, it's just sad. It's like a you know like the the thing, and it does, in my view, send a message you do not want to send, which is that vigilantism uh, is somehow appropriate uh, or that this person's actions were somehow uh, not just legal, but moral or praiseworthy. Yeah. You know, like, like those, I happen to think that he should not have been there, certainly with a firearm and the, the rest of it, and that these people's lives should not have been lost in this way. <laughs> the fact that you can get these types of weapons. Um, yeah, that's, that's really a, and a, open a, carry a, them. a problem. And, and in Wisconsin, it's totally legal to walk. So, I, but I wanted to make sure we, we haven't talked about it at all. Well, before, frankly, the trial was going on, and then what are you, you going to talk about? And then the verdict comes out, and then it's just like a hypercharged oh, like Twitter atmosphere. And then you're like, well, you know, it's like I, I would have to go on for um, some length. Uh, to try and express something that isn't, and and part of it too is like I always try and be helpful or productive. And so if you're like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, say something to say it, uh, you know, it it didn't seem like the right approach. But clearly, you know, we we see this, and um, I, at least on my side, like I've, I've just felt very sad about it every every, uh, you know, time I've um, been reflecting on it for the last number of days. <laughs> So this article was written um, that we were reading on uh, New York Mag Intelligencer. Um, what's the actual title of it? The Biden Squeeze, Joe Biden's Big Squeeze. Um, but he talks about the pressure, particularly on the left, of you have like the activists and the outrage and there's pressure coming from there. And then you have where the actual voters are. And particularly on the left, they're, they're struggling. And Joe has been stuck in the middle. So let's talk about this article because in a way it kind of encapsulates Kyle uh, and that whole trial, too, at least in terms of the, the dynamics at play. Yeah, so I, I thought this article was fascinating. And if you haven't read it, you should check it out. Uh, it's by Jonathan uh, Chait, C-H-A-I-T, in New York Magazine. And it, it it has one turn of phrase that I think is getting quoted a lot. It talks about Joe Biden as a patient who's wasting away of some undiagnosable disease, which, which is a very, very tough image. Uh, and I thought that that description, unfortunately... It reflected what what many people are are feeling, uh, and the dynamics that Jonathan Chait points out are that you have this very very inflamed uh, progressive wing of the party 
And one thing he references that I know you and Zach, you and I talked about on the campaign trail, Zach, was that that wing could be summarized on the presidential trail by Elizabeth Warren. Like Elizabeth Warren took great pains to win over those activists. The intellectual progressives that Jonathan talks about as well. Yeah. Yeah. So she went hard in that direction and she won those organizations. Like if you look at the organizations, they all endorsed her. And then when it came to the primaries, the votes weren't there. And I thought that should be a very, very stiff lesson, which is that it turns out that most mainstream Democratic voters don't actually take their cues from these organizations. And then if you try and extrapolate that to the general population, then the relationship will be even weaker. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of energy in those quarters. There's a lot of social media energy. There's a lot of media attention. Mm -hmm. A lot of journalists are sympathetic to it. And money. There, and apparently there's some money. So this is one of the minor revelations of this article is it talks about how there are major funders, major donors who are giving to these organizations, which are dragging the party left. And they made this comparison, I think. They said that Democrats have moderate voters and very, very uh, left-leaning donors. And then the Republican Party, it's the reverse, where you have yeah. moderate donors and very, very right-leaning voters. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a funny Here's the quote. The Koch brothers are strategic. Their voters are bananas. Um, our voters, our Democratic voters are moderate, but our funders are crazy. Was, the, was, the, <laughs> what, was what they'd said. Um, so that was, I thought, a, a very interesting characterization of what's going on yeah. on the left. Um, it turns out that a lot of elements of this legislative package are very popular, uh, mm -hmm. Build Back Better, whenever you pull them. I think they had them at 58% plus most of the measures. And this is the other side of the squeeze is that Joe Biden's agenda has gotten stifled by various centrist senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, chiefly among them. And the argument that the article makes is that, look, the fact that there are a lot of people recoiling at some of the leftist cultural messaging actually does not mitigate the appeal of some of the economic measures that are being mm -hmm. considered around family leave, lower drug prices, uh, child care. Universal uh, you Community know. College. Yeah, like these things college, are actually yeah. by and large popular. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the issue with Democrats, unfortunately, is, is that their agenda is getting stifled, even though their agenda is kind of popular by some people on one side, and then the other side is pissing everyone off because they're making various cultural arguments that the majority of people don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a, a note that Bill Maher has been hitting very, very hard over the last several weeks. Yes, it's funny, has. just because like I was on his show, maybe I'm sensitive to it, but then he went on CNN and he's been really hitting this hard. His latest thing was about how if he was the messaging czar, um, here, here's what he would do. Um, and he's pointed out the tough truth is that when you present any of this to the Democratic Party, certainly the progressive wing, um, there is zero self-reflection or desire to moderate the message. Mm -hmm. um, what they argue is that Virginia was lost not because of anything they did, but maybe Terry McAuliffe was too moderate and you should have had like a more diverse candidate mm -hmm. or something along those lines. That um, and, and because of this disconnect, I think that uh, it's going to be tough that no matter what happens – I think that Democrats are going to act in a certain way, not because they necessarily even believe it's going to maximize their chances of victory, 
something that someone posed online to me and said, hey, why would they do this if they're trying to win? And what I responded reflexively without thinking about it was like, they actually don't care if they win. Yeah. They want to be right on the right side of history. That, I that, guess, right? What else? What's the other goal? Well, so the, this is one of the weaknesses of a duopoly in my view. And the mm. framing I've been using is that the two sides play you lose, I lose, you lose, I lose, while we all do the losing. Um, but they don't truly lose that for long. You know, it's like if, if they fumble an election away, then they'll still be around. This is another disconnect in terms of the incentives of a select number of legislators in Congress versus the party. So, okay, okay, check it out. Let's say I'm like a very left-leaning progressive. Mm -hmm. Now, if the Democratic Party loses the majority, then in theory, I will have uh, less ability to influence legislation. So that should make me sad. Right. Now, the people that define whether the Democratic Party keeps the House are not people in super blue areas, but in really swingy areas like right. in you know, central Pennsylvania, right. like the Lehigh Valley, mm -hmm. you know, it's like th that is the race. Michigan, mm -hmm. places like that. If you win some races there, then you get the majority. Um, so the people who are the swing districts can go to the progressives and say, hey, hey, like, can you like help me out? Like maybe either don't hit that message as hard or, you know, like uh, or or. Do you know, something take a couple plays off on this one yeah, or stay or in the sidelines. Like yeah. Um, but but the <laughs> motivations of the um, folks on the progressive wing uh, are not to help that person in the swing district out because they're getting all their energy and emails and fundraising mm -hmm. appeals and donations from people who really want them just to keep hitting the message. And so then if the party loses and someone comes to them and says, hey, you guys are losing it for us, that they'll turn around and just be like, no, we're not, you know, and, and because it turns out that their individual incentives are different than the party keeping a majority. To me, what bothers me about the far left progressive movement is that the word is progressive. It's supposed to be to drive progress and it becomes anti-progress at a, at a point. Um, there's there is value in like standing for something and drop put the flag out there and saying like this is right or wrong. But then if you can't get your goal and you're in a zero compromise mode, then it's, it's this all or nothing situation, right? Like the, the Green New Deal is my favorite. And they talk about in the article, which the Green New Deal was, was supposed to be a climate change plan that you could theoretically get bipartisan support. That deal ends up, if you read it, which I have, I haven't read the entire thing. I've read probably five or six summaries and a couple of long experts. I want to get some details, but it includes... A call for Medicare for all, affordable housing planning, student debt forgiveness, and economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. And that's a quote. And I don't know, like you could, like in those swing districts too, like it's tough enough to get one thing done. If you have to throw seven or eight things in there at once, you end up hurting, I think, a lot of the moderates or people just live in districts like, yeah, I am progressive, but I also have to be you know, well, I, allegiant to my voters or whatever. So I'm aligned with a lot of elements of like what you'd consider like a progressive vision. Yeah. Uh, and what's funny is I think to use Bernie as a template, I think Bernie led on economic populism. Yes. And then he did not necessarily uh, go in for every cultural battle. Right. Uh, and uh, I think that's where a lot of Americans are. That's where I am for the most part. I mean, right. people know that I'm, I'm into trying to elevate people's standard of living. 
Um, and and so it, the, so this is the the weird thing that makes it complicated, Zach, is that you look at it. And, you know, I started the forward party and people were like, oh, that's centrist. Like, I, I don't see it as necessarily, you know, like, oh, we should just be doing small things and nibbling at the edges. Like, right. I think we need very, very big changes, which is what a lot of progressives say and believe, too. Um, I, I think my issue is like a, an inability to, like, switch tax or framing is like if you're hitting a particular point and it's turning off a certain body of voters and you can look up and be like, OK, what am I trying to do? In my case, it's like alleviate poverty. Like, is this other thing helping me alleviate poverty? No, then maybe I should focus yeah. on something that's going to work to try and advance that cause. And I was relatively single minded around poverty. Like, I just want to, you know, fight poverty and anything that's going to help me fight poverty. Um, and, and so that that's like the the issue I take is like, look, um, if people don't like a particular term you're using, just change terms. Who cares? Mm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like that's like we called it the freedom dividend. Why? Because like more it conservatives liked it. It tested better. It's like you know, it's like uh, um, <laughs> you know, it's like we just like figure out a different way to present and frame things. Like de-emphasize things that you know are turnoffs to certain people. Because the polarization that's picking up, and it, it says it in this article. It's between people who are educated and people who are less educated. And yes. So anything you do that like seems like you're snooty, elitist, including a lot of the terminology you use, um, then you have to try and like you know get away from that impulse. Uh, you know, like you have to be thinking about the random blue collar worker used to vote Democratic in Ohio and Michigan, mm -hmm. and whether they give a crap about <laughs> you know like yeah. a, like a particular new term that came into being you know X years ago. It's like and you know they're they're just trying to. Make ends meet most of the time. The enemy, in my opinion, is the folks that are passing those anti-abortion laws in Texas. We're like sending us literally decades backwards. Um, and they're... Oh, yeah, those laws are terrible. Right? These are horrible. Um, or you could argue McConnell putting like let's call it conservative justices that are pro-life or anti-abortion on on the Supreme Court, if that's what you're actually fighting for, right? Your enemy is usually not just like specifically your moderate Dems or the people aren't using the right terms or don't fully agree with your hyper-progressive agenda. You know, like they could still be an ally. Like the one example they use in this article is with of Darren Walker, who's the head of the Ford Foundation. This guy, Darren Walker, is a black guy born at a charity hospital in Lafayette, Louisiana, raised by a single mom and grew up to be one of the leaders in the United States and learning the Ford Foundation, which is probably- I saw him speak. He's yeah, very impressive. He's extremely impressive. Um, one of the biggest and most influential nonprofit organizations in the country. He wrote an essay um, called The Defense of Nuance saying, like basically talking about his proposal um, to reform or get rid of Rikers Island in New York City, saying like we have to- like, here's what we want to do. We also have to say that capitalism has also helped a lot of people get out of poverty and um, has changed the world for the better, like in, its, in, in many examples. And he got crucified for even alluding to, uh, I guess, the word nuance, frankly. Like, literally, pulled, people holding signs outside the Ford Foundation saying, fuck your nuance, is in the article. And so, now, I don't know Darren Walker well enough to know how great or bad he is. But my point is, he's clearly attempting to be an ally in this fight for let's call it progressive change and our own party's trying to knock them off right like i don't um and i think we've kind of lost i just think we lost our way i don't know what you think oh yeah it's tough i mean uh like now the wrong turn of phrase trumps decades of work 
you know no, there's a way I mean, like like yeah. that that's like one of the most messed up things about it <laughs> is like you know if, if darren walker spent his life doing something positive it doesn't matter you know it's like you said the wrong word yeah yeah or you know framed it wrong um uh, and that that's something that is a disease of this time it's like if someone says the wrong word uh you know maybe you could be like hey you know i prefer a different word choice please instead of <laughs> can we talk about it yeah, yeah or can we talk about it but in, instead it, it's um now enough for some people to want to usher you out of public life which doesn't make much sense um and this article is arguing that a lot of the progressive causes activists organizations are fighting for people of color and he's saying by the numbers you are losing people of color oh yeah that, that's one of the issues too is that you have people who purport to speak for other people and then it's like eh, if you actually talk to the black and latino working class uh voters, they're more moderate like, yeah. they're more moderate they tend to be straying a little bit from the democratic party and like slightly higher numbers um as a result so you know like you you have um a lot of these distortions in my mind are born of social media do you think it just requires a spine to say f the mob this is the right thing to do i know what my voters want i don't care what twitter says i don't care if they're going to hammer me or are there the incentives so strong to cater to the left that it's it's a system problem too or it's definitely both but is it is it one or the other officials should try and you know lead in the way that's genuine to them and this is one thing you, you got to say about joe is joe did kind of tame the the leftist wing during the primaries uh yes he did and then now he's getting accused of being too left um uh, it, i mean that that's the point of the article is that he's getting caught in a vice he can't he's in a no-win situation he's yeah. in a bit of a no-win situation i feel for him in in the administration in many ways because uh you know it's like i i mean one of the big arguments you'd have to make here is look um the democrats this is a high water mark and the high water mark is a split senate where kirsten cinema and joe manchin have all the power and so right. you're not gonna be able to get a lot of big things done mm -hmm. what's going to happen in 22 you're probably going to lose the house maybe the senate what's going to happen in 24 anyone's guess but right now you'd have to say that it's probably trump in the republican party mm -hmm. and i had a conversation this weekend with someone that really hit home for me in a particular way where they were asking hey andrew uh, about half Americans now think we're heading towards Civil War 2.0. What do you think? And I was imagining 2024, November, when Donald Trump is running for president. And in my mind, there are two most likely outcomes. Number one, he wins straight up. Number two, he claims he wins, even though he lost, <laughs> he lost a yeah. close one. And let's say in scenario number one, if he wins straight up, will there be widespread riots on the street in blue cities uh around the country protesting the fact that trump is their president again probably i'd say definitely yes actually yeah as soon as you think about it you're like oh yeah they, they totally yeah, will happen, be. Yeah. And, and so there will be violence in the streets uh in that outcome and then if trump loses barely and i i will have to say like him getting trounced seems very unlikely because uh you know it's going to be a nail biter no matter what but if he loses barely and claims victory, will there be violence in the streets? Almost certainly, yeah. yes. So when you fast forward, you realize that if Trump runs, you're probably going to see violence in the streets regardless of the outcome. Wow, this is dark, Andrew. Um, That's what I'm here for. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I, I feel bad. Uh, <laughs> well, the ironic thing is that this is theoretically avoidable if the Democrats, particularly the far left, is actually more open to getting something done and passing the bills that like their popular economic proposals and getting those done. 
Because look, if Biden is able to usher that and unite the party and actually deliver for the American people what they're all claiming for, both on the right and the left in many ways, which is a better path forward economically and an economy that's actually working for human beings, um, you can see Biden's approval rating skyrocketing if he did that well. Well, um, they're, they're the powers max, in their hands. They're maxing out what they can deliver, and it's certainly not the progressive left that's holding them back right now. It is Cinema and Mansion. Yeah, right now it's the other way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it, it is. Um, the rich don't want to get taxed. Yeah, so they're they're going to get a version of Build Back Better passed. Uh, you know, the the big open question then will become how much is going to be felt by voters in a way that's going to turn both the narrative and the electorate around mm-hmm. uh, in the face of rising inflation, which will persist for uh, at least a while. Um, and that that's a tough one, too. It's that even if Build Back Better gets passed in some version in December, how soon until Americans look around and feel great? Um, I had a conversation that's going to be on the podcast pretty soon with a guy named Derek Thompson. Yeah. And we discussed how at this point your experience of the economy is partisan, which is a really fucked up thing. Oh, interesting. What but, do you mean? but that if you are... Uh, a Democrat, you feel uh, like the economy is doing better under Joe than uh, if you're a Republican by some <laughs> some insane margin, like 50 points. Like 87% of Democrats are like, oh, it's good, and 37% of Republicans. But here's where it gets dark. Okay, If you flipped it around, it was the reverse uh, when Trump was president. Right. That um, the Republican edge was 47%. And there was a period when... Joe had won the election and had not taken power, so clearly nothing had changed, where the thing already flipped. So at this point, the way you experience the economy is born as to how you feel about the party in power. Is this because the economy doesn't actually reflect our well-being, right? Like kind of what you talked about before when you ran for president, like GDP stock market doesn't touch people's daily lives? I think that's a lot of it. Um, another thing is just how polarized and partisan yeah. the country is, where if you watch Fox right now, it just seems like Joe Biden's like screwing up right and left and the economy's in the toilet because we have like Venezuelan-style inflation. You right. know, it's like, like they kind of uh, exaggerate. Oh, yeah, engage for sure. Like tons of hyperbole. Um, and then if, if you... And so Derek said this in the podcast, though. He said that he's seeing distortions in the in the media on the left, too, where they act like the inflation's not real. Oh, yeah, I love they, that one. They, yeah. they, or it's they, not that bad. We're like, ah, oh, it's pretty, it's getting a little high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Objectively, it's higher than it's been in decades. Um, but then some uh, left leaning media are like, no, no, no. This is like, uh, and, and the Biden administration was guilty of this too for months. Yeah. They, of talking it down. It's a very strange time in American life now where uh, you genuinely are experiencing different versions of reality just based upon what channels you're watching, what party you're in. And that even includes what you think the quote-unquote economy is doing. Let me ask you this. I think it's helpful for one, me personally, but I think most of our listeners what is your opinion on why we have inflation right now? And if you could touch on the stimulus checks and whether they had anything to do with it. or Because um, you were the free cash guy, and one of the biggest questions we got all the time was, won't this cause massive inflation? And we did some stimmy checks, and now we have inflation. But I'd, you know, you, I've, yeah, you've talked this about you before with you before. That's not There's not really a direct correlation if you break it down, but I'm curious your thoughts on where we're at and why we're here. There are a couple of reasons why we have... The main reason we have an inflation is uh, that you have more demand than supply. 
uh, just like people want stuff. There's not enough stuff. <laughs> and so the, the price are going up. Related, so supply chain shortage. Yeah, related, you're having a hard time with um, supplies. I'll give you an example. I went to buy a bike for um, my older son a uh, number of months ago. I went to a bike shop and they were like, hey, we, get, we have no new bikes. And I was like, interesting. And then to the extent they had any bikes, the bikes were expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then, um, so you play that out across different categories. And so you have high inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if, now the, the simple relationship people are putting out there is like, oh, you've like put more money in the system. So prices went up. It's like, let's imagine that we had not put more money in the system. Is there a bike in that bike shop waiting for me? No, no, (laughs) it didn't solve that problem, (laughs) you know, so so that so that's what's going on in different areas of the economy Uh, and blaming it on, quote unquote, you know, printing more money um, is an oversimplification. Um, The argument I make is, look, we we printed two point two trillion dollars with the CARES Act, but it didn't go to people or families. It went to banks and airlines and, um, and and the pipes. Uh, and so you can say it's like, oh, stop printing money. It's causing inflation. It's like, eh, like it, it's a little bit more complicated than all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I will say that if you wanted to alleviate the misery caused by inflation, putting money into people's hands would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have some unavoidable level of inflation because of supply problems and like, you know, it, it's harder to produce like certain um, livestock or whatever the heck that issue is. Like the the way you would ease that would be by getting more money into people's hands. And they're making that argument a little bit with Build Back Better. They're like, oh, it's going to help you with childcare. It's going to help you with this. It's going to help you with that. Um, so it, it, it's a tough spot, but uh, you can see the partisan communication around inflation, which by the way, you know, my sense is that uh, it is serious. It's painful. It's at a level now where it, it's hurting people who have the least the most. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, worker shortages have are are imagine they are tied to this? Like, I mean, that anything that's requiring human labor, if there's a labor shortage, that's harder. Is that is what? How much of a factor is that having? And is that also tied to like higher unemployment checks that people are giving or um, unemployment benefits and things like that? Uh, I think that we made a mistake by tying the enhanced unemployment benefits to not working. Uh, like it should have been like, hey, we're going to give you this stuff, and if you get a job. Fine, because I talked to young people who legitimately were like, "Look, I'm not going to f- look for a job until like, his benefits." Yeah, uh, and so I, I thought that was the problem. I do think that there are other factors involved where um, a lot of the missing jobs are in leisure and hospitality, which is so some people um, either were fed up or didn't want to be exposed uh, because they, you know they might have some health issue. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people were burnt out, and fatigued in different ways. A lot mm-hmm. of people are just taking a step back to try to uh, figure out what their next step should be. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a tough economic picture. It's just right now the messaging, it's like, oh, Democrats printed too much money. That's why there's inflation. It, it's more nuanced than that. Right. My mom works at a retail uh, furniture store. And uh, she says, since COVID, people have just been miserable. Like the, it's like always, I don't know if you ever worked in retail or hospitality. It's like, it's usually tough dealing with people on a day-to-day basis and people can be rude and we're just human beings in many ways. But she's at like COVID is just, people are different, either they're nastier or they're more on edge. And I think COVID is a number on most people's mental health and stress and financial stress or whatever it is. But yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense to have that job and not get paid that much and it sucks and it's even worse than it was then you, or you could stay at home and take 
um, a decent unemployment check. Like, why wouldn't a lot of people do that? You know, it's hard. Well, it's interesting your mom says that, man, because like I, I have the sense that a lot of people are feeling that. It's one reason why, like, I feel frankly some responsibility to try and be upbeat or positive because like people look up and it is lousy in many ways. And like I'm a, you know, it's like we we talk about it in different ways on the the pod. Right. Uh, it's a tough time hearing your mom say that though, because you hear that on about airline passengers. You hear that about yeah uh, different people in different contexts where it's just like Americans are. Um, a little bit worn out, a shall we say? Snippier. Yeah, like <laughs> on, on our last nerve, a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> especially in New York, where we're always kind of shitty in general. <laughs> well, so I I want to reflect on this for just a moment because this episode is going to come out on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Um. So people imagine Andrew Yang to be very upbeat. What do they think about Zach Grauman? Do they, people think you're upbeat too? I don't know. Probably not as optimistic as you. I, I'm in some ways packages like Mr. Op- optimism, even though a lot of the shit I've talked about is like pretty dark, as yeah. I think a lot of you know. I am pretty optimistic, but I just compared to you, it's a different because you're a different level of that. Um, <laughs> well, so <laughs> I, 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 so I, I, I want to share with everyone. Uh, I'm a human being. I have my struggles uh, and the rest of it. Um, I, I talked to someone who's in the public eye as like a journalist type and she shared with me, she's like, hey, it's kind of tough sometimes when you're like your job requires you to be optimistic and sometimes you're not feeling it. This is I'm going to bring in something totally random, but, uh, you know, maybe people appreciate it. Uh, I watched a Katy Perry documentary a long time ago. Anyone see? Did you see this documentary? No. She's got a fascinating story, though, right? Daughter okay, of a okay. preacher. Yeah. So so um, she's married to Russell Brand. Yep. And they're splitting up. So she's super sad okay. because her marriage is breaking up right. and, you know, she's on the road and tour. Uh, and it's so like the documentary is generally pretty benign. But like when they show this pre- this one scene, you're like, oh, no, where she's like crying. And then she's looking at the camera being like, I always say, you know, I'm going to put my best face on because these are people who brought their kids to see me. And this is the only time they're going to see me. Mm-hmm. So like I always have to be positive. And so you see her like kind of like pasting on a happy face even though that she's not you know clearly like like you know super sad and doesn't want to be there and is like crying through her makeup and whatnot and then like puts on a happy face for when the little girl shows up for the one picture um (laughs) so this journalist said something to me that reminded me of that i was like whoa like that that's that's like I mean, not not to that extreme, but she was like, "Hey, when you're in the public eye, you just kind of have to, you know, put Stop put on, on. The, put on yeah. the the positive face." We're we're all human. Uh, this is not a great time in American life. I'm going to suggest, uh, but we still have so much to be thankful for. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to be able to spend Thanksgiving with my uh, family and loved ones. You know, my mom is uh, with us and uh, healthy. Um, our future is bright if we didn't just care about each other. Uh, think about the good things in our lives. I have so much to be grateful for. I have a list of things to be grateful for on my phone. And I do get down. I'm human. But then I look at it and be like, oh, wow. You know, it's like I'm so grateful for Evelyn, my two boys, uh, everyone who's supported us in the Yang Gang, um, uh, you, Zach. I don't know if I say it enough, but I'm super grateful for for you and your friendship and partnership. Um, There are so many people that have done amazing things for me and the movement over the last number of years. Uh, and I'm, you know, it's fine. I don't know what people think about my spirituality or, or, or whatnot. Like I, I'm someone who definitely believes that, uh, you know, we have roles to play. Um, and there have been times when anytime, you know, I, I've been 
struggling or some somewhat like something happens where it like you know it brings your head up and you're like oh <laughs> you know so i hope people have that experience uh hug your loved ones call your parents hopefully you're with your parents this holiday but have a wonderful thanksgiving and then you know feel free to overeat a little bit have some dessert uh you know spend a little bit too much money in the next day on uh black friday look at that do Eat all those egg. things like distributing like mindset of abundance don't worry about it it'll come back to you <laughs> no we do uh the things that matter um i think is what i'm most thankful for right um and i have uh my whole family my brother just got out of his first house so we were the whole family's coming to the house it's gonna be a packed thanksgiving and the bills are playing in prime time at 8 30 well, they lost this weekend it was sad but they're playing tonight if you're listening so happy thanksgiving go bills no offense saints fans but we need this one. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Get that trip to fan. 